Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. All right, and here we go. Remember, everybody say remember. remember. All right, so now right off the bat, now listen, stop, right off the bat. Now yours doesn't say that, okay? Now I'm looking here in, the, in this uh, King James, or New King James rather, and that's not what New King James starts off with. It says that at times, there we go, got a little hot there, that at times, all right, so this says remember. So he wants you to remember what you've come from. So watch what he says. Remember that you were at that time separated, living apart from Christ, excluded from all parts in him. All right. Utterly estranged and outlawed from the rights of Israel as a nation. Now notice that with no uh, uh, as a nation and strangers with no share in the sacred compacts of the Messiah's or the messianic promise with no knowledge of or right in God's agreements, his covenants. And you had no hope. Everybody say no hope. No No promise that you were in the world without God. Now he describes here how each and every one of us were prior to being born again. So this describes how people are living in the world. You know, where, where Dustin and them are going is a, in part of the 1040 window, where less than 2% of the people actually in, in the country they're going to is less than 1% of the nation knows about Jesus. Now you stop and think about that in this 1040 window, yet the, the, the population of this 1040 window is the largest vast majority of lost people live in this 1040 window. Saints, I want you to know something right now. It's billions of people. Everybody say billions. Billions. See, you and I lose sight of that every day. It's billions of people who are in the world without Christ and without hope. Father, in Jesus' name, help us. Help us to hear and to see that there are people all around us, not just in this 1040 window, Lord, but right here in our neighborhoods who need Jesus. We were once as this was described, but now, Father God, we do have hope because we are in Christ. I thank you that today the word of God will be alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Let it pierce our souls, Father God. And Lord, I thank you that we'll not just hear the word, but we'll become doers of that word so that we can have the manifold blessing of your word on our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the house that agreed with that said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to begin a new series and uh, talking about the hopeless, the hurting, and the hungry. We've talked about these groups of people. They're all around us. In fact, every one of these groups of people, the hopeless, the hurting, the hungry, they're not just in the world. They're in the church. There are people in the church who feel hopeless. They feel like they're in a hopeless situation. And it's up to you and I to bring Christ to them, to remind them that they are not hopeless, that Jesus is with them, Jesus is for them, and Jesus is working in them. If you believe that, say yes. So we have these people all around us and among us. Our churches are full of people who are putting smiles on the outside, while on the inside they feel hopeless. 
They feel like they're hurting and no one cares and uh, from, you know, from what's going on in life and they're hungry for a move of God, yet that's the very thing they don't realize that they're lacking in their life. And so we want to remind people of that. Look, look at this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. Notice what the Word of God says. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Everybody say, that's me. See, if you're righteous, if you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And God's eyes are on you. I want you to know something right now. God is watching your life. Now, some of you, that's not going to make very happy. All right. Maybe you don't have some things going on in your life that you think are going to be very pleasing to God. But you listen to me. You can make an adjustment. All it takes is, Lord, I'm sorry that I've offended you. I'm asking you now, help me to move in the right direction. How many of y'all believe God will help and deliver you? Amen. And so it's important that we understand that. But notice God's eyes are on the righteous all the time because when you're born again, it makes you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God's ears, listen, his eyes are on you. And according to the scripture, his ears are open to your prayers. Do you know that there are times in our life where Jesus said he came to minister to those who are hurting, those who are blind, those that are, have issues going on. And it's those times in life where we feel like God is the most distant from us. We feel like we're the only ones that are going through these issues and that God is nowhere to be found. And I want you to know today that that's just not true. God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Now, how many of y'all are glad of that? Listen to this in John chapter nine, verse 31. And we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he what? Hears. Everybody say he hears. He hears him. Now listen to me. Who doesn't he hear? He's not obligated to hear the sinner. The only prayer of the sinner he's obligated to answer is the prayer of salvation. All right? But the moment you cry out for salvation, how many of you know God saves? Amen? He moves. And it's important that we understand that. So he's not obligated to hear. The only prayer is the prayer of salvation or deliverance from the sinner. And that's uh, not so... Uh, uh, or it's important that we understand that. But he says those that worship and do his will, he hears. Now I want you to know something, saints. It is possible for you to be a worshiper of God, possible for you to be a doer of the will of God, and yet fall into a situation that in your life might appear to be hopeless. It rains on the what? Just and the who? Unjust. So it is possible for you to be in a situation where you feel like that uh, everything is hopeless. The psalmist found himself that way in Psalm chapter 10. Listen to this, verse one. Why do you stand afar off? Oh Lord, why do you hide in times of trouble? Now notice, the psalmist is having some issues going on and he's asking the Lord, why are you standing way off? Why, why, why are you hiding in times of trouble? Now listen, I want everybody to relax this morning. And I want you to understand, we've all felt like this probably from time to time. We do know that God is with us, but we've wondered, where is he? If you've ever thought that, lift your hand. Yeah. 
We thought that from time to time. We might be in a grief situation or we might be in a situation where our spouse uh, is leaving us or maybe it's our kids. They're, they're not living the life that they're supposed to be living. And we're wondering, where is God? We, we got things going on. Lord, what, what has happened? Now, I want you to know something. Job was in the will of God when all that trouble befell him, was he not? And yet, listen to me, God was with him. Everybody say he was with him. I want you to know something right now, no matter what trouble you're going through, God is with you. And you need to understand that today. See, the psalmist asked God, why in their time of trouble do you stand afar off or hide? And that's really how most of us think, that God is not with us or near us. We often feel as though we're alone and that God has abandoned us in our grief, in our anxiety, in our trouble. But that's far from the truth. That is not according to the word of God. We just sometimes forget God in our trouble. In fact, look at verse 14 of Psalm chapter 10. Watch this. But you have seen, for you observe, what? Trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you and you are the helper of the fatherless. Notice that. God is there. He is watching what's going on. And listen, it's his hand that will work in your behalf and be against whatever trouble has come your way. It's often, it's, it's important that we remember that. We just sometimes forget God in our trials and our tribulations. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we get into a little bit of a pity party. Wasn't Job's buddies in a pity party? You better believe it. Man, I mean, think about what his wife told him. You ought to curse God and die. Now, let me tell you something, saints. That's not encouraging. If that's the best your spouse can come up with, that is not good, all right? And uh, so I want you to understand that that's not how God works. Listen, if we live long enough, each of us are going to face similar circumstances from bad reports from the doctor, from divorce, from death, a child not following the Lord Jesus like they're supposed to. They're living out in the world. Listen, there's a truth that we must remember. And that is this. There are times in our lives when we're going to walk through the valley. But I want you to know something right now. God is just as much in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. And you need to understand that. The truth that in order for there to be. Now listen to me. I, I want to take you to Psalm. Can you? I don't think I put it. Did I put it up there? Yeah. Psalm 23. Look at this in verse number four. Now remember what it says? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. Come on, everybody say it. Come on, say it. All right, the Lord is my shepherd. And with him being our shepherd or literally our overseer, it says, I shall not want. Or literally, I shall not lack. He leads me into the, into the green pastures beside the still waters. But look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Now, this is David. He said, Lord, I know you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, you know, I was reading this and thinking through this thing and, and, and you know, I said, Lord, that's, that's awesome. You were with David and oftentimes David would cry out and say, Lord, where are you? I'm in trouble once again. My enemies have surrounded me and, and I feel like I'm all alone. But here he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I, I, I want you to know something. How can there be a shadow except there be light. Think about it. When you're walking, is Jesus not the light of the world? 
When you're walking in that valley and there's a shadow, it's because the light is leading you, glory to God. And I want you to know the light is greater than darkness. God is always with you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's with me. And I want you to know something right now. There cannot be shadow without light being there. God is working in a magnificent way. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Ephesians 2 and verse number 12. Look at this. I want you to know something right now, saints. Jesus is not going to leave you. Here we find that those who are in the world and without Christ are without hope. Those are literally the people who have no hope. All right. You and I always have hope. Even though we feel like we're in a hopeless situation, we have hope. We are a people of hope. Everybody say this with me. Say, I am a person of hope. The reason you are is because you're in Christ Jesus. You have hope. You always have hope. There's hope operating at every turn. There's hope operating at everything that's going on in your life. And, and so we find those that are in the world without Christ. This happened because at one time we were all separated from the promises of God. But once you're born again, saints, are not all the promises yes and amen? They are yes and amen. And if the promises are yes and amen, I want you to know something right now. That's because God enforces them. You were once alienated. In fact, I want to read this to you out of, out of the New King James. It says that at times you were without Christ being aliens. Everybody say aliens. You were aliens from, now notice what it says, from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. The word alien there literally means to be a non-participant. In the Greek, that's what it means. You were once a non-participant of the things of God. But the moment you are born again, you are a participant in everything that God has for you. It's yours. Everybody say, it's mine. You and I were once non-participants, but now since we're born again, we have hope and we're participants of all that the kingdom of God has to give us. And the most important thing that the kingdom of God gives us is hope. Everybody say, I have hope. So even though you and I are participants of the kingdom of God, we have times where we experience hard times in our life. We're going to have those things happen to us, saints. It's not possible for us to go through life and not have some of these things. We might have the, the, the death of a child or we might have the death of a marriage. I want you to know something right now for all of you that have been through divorce. That's a death. The difference between a death, a natural death, and the death of a marriage is just it's that you oftentimes can still see that spouse, that ex-spouse in life. And how many of you have found out it can bring up some bad thoughts? Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm just saying those things can happen. It's reality. Whereas when we experience a, a, a physical death and we have a burial, listen, then we don't see that person. That, those memories are locked in our mind and in our heart, but we don't see that person walking around. And it's difficult sometimes for us to be able to handle these things. And God wants to walk us through this and not only walk us through, but he wants to bring us out on the other side. It's his hope that leads us to the place of victory. I want you to know something right now. 
Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath anointed me. How many of y'all believe Jesus is anointed? And that anointing is working in your life. And according to Isaiah, the Bible says, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. And you and I have a reason to cry out. Now, I want everybody to turn with me, if you would, please, over to Romans chapter 5. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is going to be important to you to remember. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. But this is going to be important for you to remember. We are a people of hope. Listen, saints, I know some of you think that Jade and I, we don't experience any hardships. You know, I've had people tell me that, well, you're a pastor. You know, listen to me. That's a lie. We put on our britches the same way everybody else does. And that's one leg at a time. All right. I want you to know something right now. We've had some of those times in our life where we've wondered where God is. We've, we've asked each other. You know, there's times when she got a bad report because she was having trouble swallowing, found out she had thyroid cancer. And then what about when our son was struggling and, you know, with alcohol and with drugs and, and then, you know, he's out there in the world. We're only thing we can do saints is pray. And don't think the days don't go by where we don't look at each other and say, wonder what God's doing today. Where is he? Is he moving? Listen, I can remember us talking to Jada's sister. She needs Jesus. She lives out in, in California. Now she needs the Lord and we're, we're praying for her. And I never will forget, she come to visit us one time and out of the blue, she's talking. She said, you know, the craziest thing happened the other day. These people started coming up and telling me about Jesus. How many of you know that's an answer to our prayer? Because we're asking God to send laborers. Listen to me, saints. The reason we feel hopeless is because you can't always see the hand of God move. But when you pray and when you're believing God, the hand of the Lord is moving. It's not about what you can see. If you can see it, you don't need God. If you can see, you know, are you understand what I'm saying? If you can see things happening all the time, then there's no faith involved. But faith says God is. Regardless of what I hear, see, smell, taste, and touch. God is moving. Now watch this in, in Romans chapter 5. Look at this. Beginning in verse number 3. Not only that, but we rejoice... In our suffering, are you kidding me? When's the last time y'all just had a real rejoicing time in your suffering? Most of us, no, that's not how we do it. How do we approach it? Same way that maybe Job's buddies did. We kind of get a little down in the dumps a little bit. Remember, remember when they were at Ziglag? The Bible says that when they came back and they saw the, the city had been burned, it said they wept all night. Now, saints, I say this to you on a consistent basis, and I hope you're getting it. It's not that your, your um, uh, emotions aren't going to move, but when your emotions get done playing out, then go straight to God. That's what David did. He wept with the rest of them that night because he had lost his family, lost everything that he had. The Bible says that when they got done weeping, David called for the ephod and went to the house of God and began to, and began to pray. 
So let me ask you, when your emotions move and then they stop, what do you do? Is that when you start talking the mully grubs or is that when you start crying out to God? Because if you're crying out to God, God's moving on your behalf. You remember what happened to David? His Bible says he went in, he besought the Lord and the Lord told him three things. The Lord told him to pursue, the Lord told him to overtake, and the Lord told him to recover. I believe one of the reasons why we don't recover is because we don't find God. We, we get to talking bad about how, you know, our situation rather than depending on God when God is telling us, hey, pursue, overtake, and recover all. Amen. I want you to know that. We can recover mentally. We can recover spiritually. Notice that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. Are you kidding me? And endurance produces character. Character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice, Paul says we can rejoice in the suffering because we're a people of hope. Because we're a people of hope, we can have hope when everything looks and feels hopeless. In the midst of suffering, you and I can rejoice. Now listen, I'm not talking about rejoicing because of all that's going on that's, uh, that's bad in your life. Rejoicing in suffering doesn't mean celebrating when bad news comes. It does mean that we can believe that God is doing a redemptive work in our life. The word redemptive, it literally means that God does not waste or hurt or a disappointment, but rather he uses them to shape us, to build us, and to bring us through. Why? So we in turn can offer hope to somebody else. Does he not tell us that in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? He says, the hope wherewith you've, you've been ministered to, now you turn and minister to somebody else with that hope. Listen. Christianity is not a faith of I can do it, but a faith of Christ in me can do it. It's about Jesus. Can you say amen? Our culture tells us to take care of it yourself. It says to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get after it. But I want you to know something right now. I want you to know that we need the Lord in these times where we're feeling hopeless our circumstances may not change, but God will change us in the midst of our circumstances. So today, let me give you four reasons why we're a people of hope. Four reasons. I want you to understand right now, some of you are sitting in this place right now feeling hopeless. I want you to know there's hope for your life. His name is Jesus. And his people are us. Do you know we're supposed to bring hope to one another? Isn't it amazing? We can come to church. We can fill these pews. There can be people hurting next to us and we don't even know it. Listen, that's not what God called us to do. God called us to be a people who come together and stick together. Can you say amen? Who minister to one another. So let me give you these. Number one, we've been made as righteous as Jesus through faith in him. That's why we're a person of hope. We've been made as righteous as Jesus Notice through faith in him. Notice that. We need to remember that we are the righteousness of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's for you and I and for the whole world. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The moment you declare Jesus, listen, you are no longer a sinner. You are the righteousness of God washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I love that, man. We exchange our sinful life of living for his perfect living record. His righteousness now becomes our cloak of righteousness. We put it on. That's why the Bible tells us this. We're a child of the king because of his work of redemption. You've been redeemed. Say, I've been redeemed. redeemed. Say it again. Say it like you mean it. You have been. You've been redeemed. Your past is wiped out. Whatever went on in your past no longer exists in the eyes of God. That's why you and I have to take these thoughts captive. And that's why we got to remember we're a people of hope. My hope lies in Jesus. It lies in the fact that God loves me. It lies in the fact that Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness. That's where my hope lies. It's not that the world's not going to attack. It's not that people aren't going to, you know, aren't going to be ugly to you and say things to you, make you feel like you're hopeless. I want you to know something right now. You are not hopeless because you are righteous in God. You're righteous in God. And that's what's important. Let me give you the second one. Number two. Number two, we're, we, we are uh, the righteousness of God. But number two, the reasons that we are filled with hope is that we have peace with God. Now, this is one that most people have trouble with. We have peace with God. I have people that want to argue with me, you know, that God's still judging us. No, he's not. Now, that I have your attention, listen to me close. The judgment has been stayed by the blood of Jesus. It's not to say that when you miss it, the spirit of God doesn't convict you. How many of you know you're still being convicted by the Spirit of God when you miss it? If you believe that, say yes. But the judgment of God has been removed. Why? Because when you and I die, we go to the judgment seat of Christ where where he judges us according to the works in this body. In other words, saints, listen, you're not being judged by sin. You're being judged as to whether or not you are a doer of the word of God and whether you did it. Well, thank you for your hearty enthusiasm. Listen to me. I got better news for you. Everybody say better. You're not going to the white throne judgment on the judgment side. You're going to be on the side that judges. Y'all need to read your Bible. Read the end of the book. We're not being judged according to sin any longer. Listen to this in Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Everybody say, I'm justified. We have what? Peace with who? God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo, glory to God. See, God's not trying to crush me. No, the plans that God has for me, they are plans of good and not evil. Can you say amen? Amen. See, I don't know why, but we have a hard time with this. The word says we have peace with God because of Jesus. It doesn't say we have peace because of our circumstances. Are you hearing me? 
It does not say we have peace because our circumstances are good or that our children turned out perfectly or that our spouse has not abandoned me. No, we do not have peace because everything is going great, but because we have access by faith into grace, we now have peace with God. We now have access to God the Father. And I want you to know something, because you have access to the Father, He never misses your call. He never misses it. When you cry, God hears. If you believe that, say yes. Let me give you number three. We're a people of hope because number three, we can rejoice in our sufferings. You know, it is, it's extremely hard. I know James says, count it all joy when you fall, you know, into temptation, not because you know, temptation is going to overtake us, but we can count it all joy because we know the one who brings us through and out the other side. His name is Jesus. Listen to me. You can rejoice in your sufferings, knowing that God's doing a great work in your life. Rejoicing in our suffering doesn't mean that we cheer when bad things happen, but it does mean that there's light at the end of the tunnel drawing us through it, trusting that Jesus is with us and walking us out on the other side. You know, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. But he said to the just, now get ready. He said to the just, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know something right now, saints. We're not being left behind. Jesus is with us. Listen to this in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 8. Listen to this. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he what? Oh, thank you, Victoria. How did Jesus learn obedience? By his what? Suffering. How do you think you're learning that? You think you're above the Savior? Well, thank you for your hearty enthusiasm. Look at verse 9. And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? Obey. Everybody say obey. obey. So we might as well rejoice in our suffering. Listen, again, we're not rejoicing because this is happening. We're not rejoicing in our suffering because, you know, cheering when bad things happen. But we're rejoicing because we know that God is bringing us out on the other side. We have a God who identifies with us in our sufferings. He has felt what we feel. The Bible says that he, he has felt our, our afflictions. He knows what we know. There's nothing more powerful than someone who grabs you by the hand and says, I know what you're feeling because I've gone through it. And Jesus experienced it and he's got us and he's leading us out on the other side. He is our high priest who has suffered and gone before us. I want you to know something, saints. See, these suffering messages, they don't go over well in church. They really don't. I, I, didn't mean, I didn't expect anybody to get real excited, but listen to me. It's truth. You are not left alone. You have a father who never leaves you or forsakes you. You have a savior who will not abandon you. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you who will walk you through it. Listen to point number four. Point number four, why we're a people of hope is that in our sufferings, we will grow in perseverance, character, and in hope. How many of y'all have figured out the world's not easy? 
The world is difficult. The world is filled with chaos. It's filled with all kinds of messages that are anti-God. It's filled with a lot of hopelessness. But you and I are not hopeless. God allows challenges and obstacles to come into our life. And because these things come into our life, listen to me, he brings us out on the other side, teaching us so that our character is forged, so that we persevere in life and we understand that we are not going to be overcome. We are victorious. We're more than a conqueror. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm more than a conqueror. See, in the midst of suffering, character is being built if we allow God to work in our lives. Your character's being built. Your character's being forged. And it's important that we understand that. Our hope is in God's love. Listen, my hope is not in my circumstance. Because whether the circumstance is continuing on a little bit longer or not, listen to me, my hope is in Jesus. My circumstances will change. I just have to persevere. I just have to keep trusting God. I just have to keep calling on the name of the Lord. For all that call on the name of the Lord. Listen, if we believe that if we call on the name of the Lord, we're saved. Guess what? If we call on the name of the Lord, He's going to deliver us from all of our trouble. And in the midst of that delivering, He's forging in us a character that doesn't bend and doesn't bow. Isn't it amazing? Three Hebrew children threatened to be thrown in a fiery furnace if they bowed down and worshiped the king. If they didn't do it, you're going into the furnace. And yet these three Hebrew children, according to the book of Daniel, refused to bow down. They refused to bow. Why? Because their character was built on the Lord. You know what's interesting about that story? The interesting thing to me is that when they threw these three Hebrews into the midst of the fiery furnace, and then they looked in. Here's what gets me. The king, the king looks in, he says, or the man looks in, he says, oh, king, did we not throw three men in the fire? Everybody say three. Three. And he said, yeah, that's what we did. We threw three in there. He said, well, I see four. I see four and one of them has the form of the son of God. How did he know that? Glory to God. I want you to know something right now. You can be in the midst of the fire of life, but the son of God is right there with you. And you can come out of that thing according to the word of God. Now listen, this is what's so sweet. According to the word of God, they didn't even smell like smoke. I want you to know something right now. When you come out of your testing and trial, when you come out of your suffering, you don't smell like that suffering. You smell like the fragrance of life because Jesus has brought you out. Your life. Everybody say, I'm life. life. Somebody asked me this morning, I came in and they said, oh, what what kind of cologne are you wearing? I should have looked around and said, it's the cologne of life. (laughs) It was actually Mont Blanc. I have no idea what that means. But... I thought it was a pen, didn't you? How many of y'all ever heard of a Mont Blanc pen? A couple of you. Well, forget it then. I ain't telling the rest of the story. But I should have told her it was life. Listen, listen to me. We're the fragrance of death to those who are lost and dying. When they look at us, it reminds them that their life is hopeless. But I want you to know that shouldn't stop us from offering hope to them. And right here in these pews, 
right here in these pews are people who feel hopeless. And you and I are the fragrance of life to them. We're life. Why? Because God has forged life in us. Some of you folks who've been through the spirit of, uh, or the tragedy of divorce, and you've come out on the other side and God's rebuilt your life. You need to be speaking life into other people who are in the midst of the storm. People who have been through grief. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I, you know, I'm just so thankful. I haven't had to bury any of my children. But there are people who sit in these pews who have. That's not the way God designed life. But yet, even in that adversity, God has brought them through. And now they have a word of life for someone else who may experience that same thing. So that you too can come through. Saints, your life to the person sitting next to you. Your hope. You just don't see it. Say, Pastor, I, I don't see that. But that's who you are. Your hope. Your neighbor ought to be able to look at you and see hope written all across you. Not because you're the most stellar person on the planet, but because God is forging in you. And in their time of need, they look at you and they see that. Yes. And I pray that you too will understand that in the midst of your tragedy, listen to me, it's easy to get caught up in the tragedy. It's easy to get caught up in blame. Don't blame. Turn to Jesus. Amen. And He will set you free.